And hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Reaching the Teacher podcast presented by CEI. I'm your host, Robinson. I am joined by my co-host, Johnny and Joel. What up, guys? What is going on, my brother? How has it been? It's been pretty, pretty good. It was an eventful weekend. Some sports came back, but what huh? we're talking about here, you had UFC come back, you had uh, WWE Money in the Bank, you had all this stuff going on. But what we're here talking about is what's been going on for the past couple Sundays, and that is the Last Dance documentary covering the 98 Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan throughout his whole career. And this week, uh, you can you could, you could talk to me, John, uh, see if you disagree here. I feel like this week was more an emotional episode. Talking, you, see, you saw Jordan get emotional in the episode, and you talk about what he went through during these times from 93 to, like, 96. And then, again, we see uh, uh, we, what I thought, and Joel was talking to me about this right before we started, it was a more supportive episode. Like, this guy, they gave him a big big supporting cast in terms of this documentary making them look good uh i disagree with that i think that so to your point about the episodes being emotional i think i think that's fair um i think that you've seen the way jason uh hair has um has directed this, this this documentary he's brought you in and showed you a lot of the good pieces a lot of the, uh, the great you know rise to fame moments of michael's career up until about 84 about until about uh uh, 92, I would say, and then you start to see where the toll of being Michael Jordan takes takes effect on 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 Michael, and then obviously in 93, where where we kind of pick things up after the finals, uh, the speculation about him, you know, possibly retiring from basketball uh, ends up becoming a reality by by the middle of the summer, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, just to seeing Jordan describe that time in his life, and obviously that couple with the, the death of his father, the murder of his father during that same summer, and then um, him ultimately retiring, going to baseball, to ultimately then come back about 22 months later, they said, about 22 months later. Yeah, but to your point about him being featured as like, or him getting a really supportive cast around him as like, as like him being, like him, them showing his, his bad side but kind of romanticizing it, I think it's kind of false. I think that they're showing it, in its entirety, like you take your own opinions on it. And I've seen some people who said that, oh, you know, this person would never do that. Like Michael's such a horrible person. And I think Michael's, to Michael's defense, I think he's not denying that he, he did these things. He's not denying that he never he never said these things. He's simply saying that that's what he felt he had to do in order to, to win, in order to push his teammates. And I think in 2020, yeah, it looks like, oh, he's being a horrific person. But in 1993, you know, four, five, six, and and and, uh, and probably his entire career, that that was how you show tough love. You show leadership. You show that yes, I do care about you, but I'm not going to baby you. I'm not going to call you because at the end of the day, like we're all in this together. We need to go to war. And and every time you step on that court, you need to go and, and give your best effort. So if they were able to handle Michael Jordan in practices and and and, 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 and those encounters, no one on the no one on the court that they face would would even come close to that. So I think ultimately, like, like you saw, they won six championships. Uh, so it worked out, but I think that to say that that, that his that this Michael Jordan was romanticized for his, for his his way of being, his way of winning, I think is a bit of a stretch, in my opinion. Though. Yeah, I, I see. I see your point. I, I guess I could. I guess we were both. I guess we're both right in the situation. Um, I just felt like in terms of this, uh, these two episodes, I feel like they got you got a lot more support than I'd imagined with the stuff that he was thought of and how they described support him. Support who though? Like well, I'm talking about. I'm talking about like. I'm just saying, like, in terms of the type of teammate it was, because like, it's just, it's just hard for me to imagine 
they say he's a douchebag, he's this and that, and then this next sentence say he's such a great team. I just, I don't know. It just, it just sounded so weird to me. I guess it's because it's Michael Jordan. He won so much. It, it all goes in his way. But it just sounded so bizarre to me. And then, we'll, which we'll get into later, the baseball aspect too. I felt like he got such high praise for his career in baseball, which I understand. But we'll get into that later. So, Johnny, what was your biggest takeaway from episodes part seven and? part eight of the last dance um there's a, there's a lot but just kind of just off the top of my head right now obviously what we touched on just now about michael and his and his his drive and passion to win i think that in my eyes that's what's missing from today's athletes i think a lot of today's athletes are so, are so buddy buddy and friends that they kind of lose sight of like that that savageness that they need to have on the court and i think that michael showed day in, day out, that like every single day he stepped on that court, that he was able to to really go out and try to like annihilate the competition. I think that a lot of times in today's athletes, the game seems like it's not as important anymore. The game seems like it's secondary to, to, to what the game gives you, the opportunities that the game gives you, like the endorsement deals, like the shoe deals, like the commercials, like the lifestyle. And I think if it wasn't for Michael Jordan putting in the, 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 the pain, sweat, and tears to, to really – elevate the game of basketball to a global brand, none of these things would be possible for these athletes. So I think that a lot of the athletes today are benefiting from Michael Jordan's impact. And I think the the, the, the strong desire and will to win is not as it, not not as strong as it once was in Michael's day. And I think that's evident by today's athletes because there's so much money being made. And all these guys are so young. You're getting millions and millions of dollars at the age of 18, 19, 20. And you barely, I mean, you worked for it, you know, for those five, six years while you were on the independent circuit, well, not independent circuit, but the amateur circuit, excuse me. And now you come into the league and people are at your feet. You know, you got all these people around you saying you're the greatest, you know what I'm saying? You're the best prospect since X, Y, and Z. And you, I mean, as we've seen the last few years, a lot of these prospects start to kind of fizzle out because the honeymoon period is only about two years. And then afterwards, they're just a, a talent that's been wasted. So I think, you know, Michael's drive and the way he got so emotional means that he really does care about this game. He really does care about the game of basketball and how, and how much it meant to win at the game of basketball. And I think to me personally, um, that was a refreshing sight because it's so lacking in a lot of today's top stars today because they had that same drive and same kind of like the Jimmy Butler, right? Jimmy Butler is like the one main guy right now that you can say is like has that same passion and drive to win. Like he doesn't really care about, this or that, or the drama cares about winning at all costs. But the only difference is that Jimmy hasn't won anything yet. And so that's what kind of makes Jimmy out to be the villain in most people's eyes. Like he's just pushing these guys and they're not even doing anything. But you see Jimmy Butler, how he's impacted each team he's been on, whether it's the Timberwolves, whether it was the Sixers last season, whether it's Miami this year, you've seen the impact that he's had on his, on his team and teammates. He just needs to win. But yeah, that's what stood out to me the most uh, initially anyway. Yeah, definitely. I see, I see where you're coming from. Uh, just, I think, I think you're right. I was saying about this earlier today. I think in terms of mentality, Jimmy Butler is the first on the list in terms of the closest Jordan mentality because this guy has been traded to team to team to team because of the work ethic that he saw in the teams that he was previously on. You saw what happened on the Timberwolves. You saw what happened on the Sixers. You saw what happened on the Bulls. None of those teams, he saw from the get-go. He saw these guys don't have the mentality organization-wise to win a championship, and that's why he bounced. That's why I definitely agree with you. I think Jimmy Butler is the closest to Michael Jordan in terms of mentality. But, yeah, I, I also I also kind of agree with you there. I don't know if 
Uh, yeah, people people today and today's NBA don't have that type of mentality. But again, this is a mentality that we've never seen before Jordan and after Jordan, and that's what made we it have. Right? So it's hard to match up. Kobe's Kobe's not in that discussion uh, for the mentality. Yeah, Kobe, Kobe's definitely Kobe's definitely in that discussion. But Jordan was but Jordan was a different guy, as we'll talk about here. This guy was name calling, berating people. I don't was he was he called in was he called in calling uh, Scott Burrell. <laughs> what he called them in the episode was it was he Kobe ca- called Sasha uh Sasha Vujicic that, that he, he, called him, he, call, he called him a flat out hoe and yeah. that and that and that was that was comical but also just like dang you know but again like and, and Sasha Vujicic you mentioned that with Kobe like Kobe I think obviously the, there was there's cameras following Kobe I'm sure like, you know, during all these years that he was at the Lakers and all that stuff. And I'm sure if, you, if they did a documentary through those times, you'll find definitely some moments in practice where Kobe was berating his teammates. Like we've seen snippets here and there about him on Jimmy Lynn or him on Nick Young and all that stuff. But like, I'm sure that it's it's not too far from what you've seen with Jordan. But I think that it's just tough. It's just their version of tough love back then. 2020, yeah, it looks like he's bullying him or he's doing this, he's doing that. But you ask Scott Burrell today, and they interviewed him actually too, that he was there to push him, you know. And, and I think Scott understood that. He just understood that Jordan was a different cat and that he was just doing that to push him and to get him riled up, to get him, you know, focused in on the game and try to give him give his best effort. And is that the only way to go about it? No. Like, have you, as you've seen with other champions, superstars, it's not the only way to go about it, but this, this definitely is an effective way if you're that type of person with that type of personality. Yeah, definitely. I, I, but here's my thing. Here's my question to you, Johnny. Do you think that type of mentality would work today with that skill set and with that type of mentality? Absolutely, um, because Michael's mentality was simply dedicated to the game of basketball and simply wanted to win. And I think that you'll get some pushback initially um, because people always want. Because nowadays people want to dig in and find your 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 weakness, your kryptonite. They want to find out if you're really a perfect person. Because Jordan had a good couple of years where it was like he was romanticized. Same thing with LeBron. Came to the league, he was romanticized as the upcoming high schooler, sensation phenom. And then as, as he kind of got further in his career, you know, he got villainized because it was like, all right, you're not winning. You're not winning. Come on. You have all this talent. People say you're the best, but come on now. And then obviously the Miami years, and then obviously subsequently after that, he ended up winning his championship with Cleveland and kind of solidified his place as one of the all-time greats. But I think that today's era, you definitely can. It just is good. You have to, you have, to have thick skin. And I think a lot of people today just don't have that because of social media, because of the, the, the constant – news cycle and, and sports analyst talk shows that kind of always have your name circulating throughout the the, the, the the internet and all that stuff. So it's hard to kind of not see your name flashing everywhere and, and them talking about you in some form or fashion, possibly most of the time negatively. So, uh, yeah, I, but I definitely think it still can work, man. If you have that drive and that focus is just simply win at all costs and don't concern yourself with all the extra nonsense that happens off the court, and you're producing on the court at, at, at the same time, like you're showing your team as a leader, as, leading by example. You know, you don't have to, if you're berating them and not leading on, by example on the court, then you're just, you're just a loud mouth and you're not worth a damn. But if you're berating, quote unquote, but also proving on the court why, why what I'm saying means something, why it matters, then yeah, definitely, bro. You know what I'm saying? That could work in this day and age for sure. Okay. Uh, I also, but what I also like, and I think what that meant to him, that competitive drive to win, you saw that emotion to him at the end, at the end of episode seven when he started to cry and then he said break, because he just he just felt like 
I'm pushing this team to be the best they possibly be. To, I'm pushing this team and myself to be the best that we can possibly be, and that led to such greatness. And as the team get that emotion, I think, I think for me, the what led him to got so emotional at that moment was because, I think part of it was because the slings and arrows he took because of who he was and what his intentions were at the end, and because of the damage it possibly did to others because of what he was like. He probably do. You, do you agree with that in some sort of way? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, um, I I think, and, and shout out to so I'm representing Angel Schultz and, and Nakash from the Flagrancy podcast again, but they had a great point about that Jordan's emotions at the end were, were reflective of of his mortality, like his realization of mortality. Because he, I think, was with Jordan during those those early prime years, right, of like from like '86 up until '93 before he retired, is that he was like seen like immortal, right? Like he seemed untouchable. He seemed like he was just above everyone, and that at this stage of his life, he's like, you know, old, I think 55, 56, something like that. And he's he's reflecting back, and he's like, I don't regret anything I've done, because I've won, and that, and that was the ultimate goal. But I think he also sees that, like, where, like, all right, yeah, maybe I may I may have, you know, stepped on some people's toes, and that was unfortunate, because I don't think genuinely, because I think genuinely for, for Michael, in all accounts, he seems like a, a pretty, really good guy off the court. Like, off the court, he seems like a regular dude, like respectful, mindful. You see his mother, you see his father, like they seem very, very nice, welcoming people. So I think that he was raised right. It's just that his quote unquote psychotic mentality of like just wanting to win so badly, I think gets misconstrued as being a bad person. But if you hear his teammates, I think uh, who was who spoke? Um, Will Purdue, Steve Will Kerr. Purdue. Yes, yes. Will Purdue spoke and said, yes, is, is, is Michael an a-hole is he you know is he this is he that yes but is he a good teammate yes because i think they all saw that it was nothing personal all all of what he did or what he said was to motivate you to get on his level and they understood that they, they can't get on michael jordan's level because they're not that talented but if you're striving to constantly better yourself and better your craft then you're ultimately going to get better and you're going to function as a well-oiled machine like they eventually did to, to win three times in a row twice and I think for joining that moment, he kind of was like, damn it. Like, you know, he's got people, this media is always questioning me and always on my, my case about I'm being a bad guy because I said this or did that. But they really understood where I was coming from. And they were understanding that like, nothing on that, none of that was personal. It was all because we simply wanted to be the best team, be the best that we possibly could be. And that was the way he knew how. And um, yeah, but that's why I think he got most of it. I think he just mortality was like, wow. Like, you know, like I may have, slipped up a couple of times, but ultimately I would not change a thing. I think that was what he was thinking throughout, through that moment. Yeah, I also yeah, I yeah, I agree with you think what you said there. And I I guess I go back to what I said earlier. I think what he's I feel like what he sacrificed to be the best and the greatest of all time, it hurt him definitely because obviously when we went back to in the pre or in a previous recording, if you haven't listened to it, listen to it because wake up you it's there. It's it's tremendous okay. uh, podcasting. You should listen to us talk about the previous episodes of The Last Dance. But again, I think it's, it goes back. Um, uh, when you when someone is so great, people just want to find a way to take you down, and I think yeah. that's what got him emotional. I feel like people he was so great, and he and he did everything he did to ultimately win. Remember at the end of the episode, he said, "I didn't make anyone do something that I didn't do." He did all the great. All you can ask for as a leader, all you can ask for is that my leader is not asking something of us that he wouldn't do himself. Because again, you're leading by example. Yeah, and. 
I just he's just like I don't want I'm not gonna make anyone do something that I didn't do and that's that's good as, if that's what it takes to win then so be it and for people to still take write the book the Jordan rules and all that berating him and making him look bad for just trying to be the best and the most competitive player yeah I think that's what got him emotional at the end of there too so Johnny my biggest takeaway from the past I just I'm I'm starting to see Scotty Pippen does not look too good throughout this documentary to me oh man ah. I, he does. He just doesn't. Uh, all right. So before we'll, we'll get well. So obviously Jordan retired. Uh, Jordan retired us for baseball, which we we'll, we'll probably get into at some point in this episode. But Scottie Pippen. Re, uh, I mean, Michael Jordan's gone. It's the nineteen ninety four season, and they have one of the best. I, which I which I think what I, what I feel like the documentary didn't highlight that much is how good Scottie Pippen was in the Bulls that year. Like they touched on it a tad bit. I feel like they could have touched mm-hmm. on it a bit more. Like, they were one of the top seeds in the East. Scotty Pippen was, I think, third in MVP voting. I think he was uh, all-star MVP that year. He was really good that year. Led the Bulls to almost 60 wins. And he got him to the second round against the Knicks. And and I, I don't think that what the, the win differential was too different than the other Bulls seasons prior. But um, when you go to that game three against the Knicks in the semifinals, and Phil Jackson calls the play for Tony Kukos to hit the shot, and a play that's worked out throughout the season. And Scotty Pimmons says, you know what? When Phil Jackson asked him, are you in or not? He said, I'm out and sat on the bench. He got, he, and then Tony Kuko hits that, hit, Tony Kuko, excuse me, hits that shot to force, uh, to, to send it to game four. Nick, uh, Bulls were down 2-0. I mean, 2-1. It just makes Scotty Pippen look real bad. He quit on his team in the biggest moment of this season. And he, it could have been way worse if Tony Kuko didn't hit that shot. It could have been way worse. I, I listen. I, I get it, and I understand that the ramifications of what Scotty did was were huge. And because obviously, as a leader of that team, you know you, you, this is the season right after Michael has retired, and, you, and now you, Scott Scotty's the clear leader of the team. And he's the best player on that team, and I think when when you're in that moment, right? And Scotty at this point now is 94. So he's been underneath Jordan now up until that point for like at least what six years or so, six or seven years. And so you're seeing this guy work. You're seeing how this guy, every time there was a moment to be made or or, or a play to be made and a crucial moment in the game, he was there to make make sure that 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 moment or that that shot was taken or or he was was able to facilitate uh, someone getting open. And so I think in Scotty's mind, in his makeup, he's learned so much from from Jordan that he was looking at it like, so you're going to take the ball out of my hands and not have me make a play, make, you know, try to, you know, be a threat on the court. You know, you have me inbound the ball. And, and so in, in the heat of the moment, he made a mistake. And he, he, he decided that he was bigger than the team and that he wasn't going to go in. And unfortunately, unfortunately for them, you know, Kukos just a shot and everything's great. But I think what you say he looks bad at, because I think now in hindsight, yes, that was a bad play, but I don't think no one's going to really berate him that much. But I think what, what happened was that during the course of that episode that this is highlighted, um, they asked Scotty, like, if, would you change anything? And Scotty just flat out said, like, if I had to change anything, I, I wouldn't. I'd just stay the same. And I think that's where the, 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 the not looking good part comes in there because I think fans are like, listen, all right, it's one thing to be like, all right, I made the mistake 25 years ago, but looking back on it, yeah, I probably would just win in the game. But for you to, to, to double down and say, yeah, no, like I would not do the thing, is pretty pretty wild. I think 
in in my opinion, I think what he really meant to say was that with the with the with the guarantee with the guarantee that everything stays the same. So like who goes just a shot, you know? I think that's probably what he meant was that like, yeah, I, I wouldn't change the thing because if I went win the game, maybe maybe Kukos wouldn't hit the shot or, you know, he just says, listen, history was what, what, what it was. I sat, he hit the shot, he went on to, to move on to, to the next game. So I think that's what he meant by that when he said that he, was, he wouldn't change a thing. But it, throughout this documentary, he just I just hasn't looked good. Like he had the moment where he said he was going to delay the surgery because he wasn't going to mess it somewhere. And that's, that's justified, though. That was justified. It, I think it was justified because they won. But I'm again, winning winning is the biggest uh, deodorant in terms of everything. But you quitting on the team because they didn't call your number for a, a last play on a play that's worked out, and then you delaying you delaying a surgery because you want to get you wanted the security. It just doesn't look good. This was this was Scottie Pippen's chance. I understand. This is I understand. You it's a, he like he said in the in the documentary. He took it as an insult. I understand if. If you're the best player on the team and they don't call your number to hit the last shot, I, I completely understand to be insulted or anything like that. But to not get, not to go in the game. Imagine if that game went into overtime. What do you go? What's the, step off the bench? Like right. I just that that like we we don't know. I just think that Tony Kuko's shot did bail him out, and also what did bail him out was in later on the series. Joel, you could I know Joel. He's here, Bulls fan, our producer. They cost uh, the Hugh Hollins called that cost him the series against the Knicks. They caught, they possibly could have gone to the conference finals, but still in those moments, it just you don't look good when you're like, he he just he looked he put himself over the team essentially in all reality. He did, and it was a it was it was a bad moment for him. But clearly, like I think people are overstating how how much Scotty looks terrible throughout this doc. I think you look back at the whole holdout that he did. That was built that was built up over the last few years of, of management and him and him feeling like he needed to look out for himself. And that's what's happened to a lot of the league today. A lot of guys today are looking out for themselves. They don't, they don't, they're not team friendly. They, they're not looking out for the team. They're looking out for themselves. And I think, you know, in that aspect, that's okay. Now in the middle of a game, you shouldn't look out for yourself. You know, obviously in the middle of a game, you have, you know, 11 other guys with you on, on a team. And so you want to make sure that, that you put their best interests at, at, at the forefront and that's to try to win the game. So do you do whatever you need to do to win the game? So yes, that moment in particular, 94 was a bad moment, but I think overall Scotty is Scotty. He's, he's just fine. Um, after that game, he, he showed up, apologized and, and, and moved forward. And, and he was the best player. He dominated the rest of the series for the most part um, until they eventually lost. So I think that it's being a little bit overstated about Scotty's, uh, you know, uh, over, overall look in the series. I think that he's he's doing just fine for the most part. Yeah, I think to, to finish off the point, I think he could have done something else. I think I think talking to the team or maybe I just I, I don't know. I just feel like out of all the things he could have possibly done, I think that was the worst choice he made in terms of that moment. And oh, yeah, he's, on, he's completely in his own right to feel insulted because if you're the best again, if you're the best player on the team, if they don't call your number to take the last shot, you have the complete right to be insulted. But to just say screw this in the middle of a playoff series when you're down 2-0, when you when you need to when you need to uh, make it a series, get back in the series, I just feel like it's pretty crazy. And overall, he's just I don't know. To me, it just doesn't look great in terms of this documentary. But still, he's still Scottie Pippen is an all-time great, one of the best players to ever play, one of the best small forwards, one of the best defenders. So I'm not gonna take that away from him. But in terms of comparing him to others, I think that hurts him in that situation too. Again, this guy wanted to get out of Jordan's shadow, and I just don't think that was the right way to do it. In that time, no. 
So, Johnny, do you have uh, what's another takeaway of yours throughout this documentary? Man, um, I think just I'm, I'm trying to think about about episode eight because I think seven pretty much covered. Seven was essentially just. Do you want to go um, into the baseball aspect in the retirement? Yeah, we can talk. We can touch on that. So, yeah, so the baseball part, you, you talked about in the opening that it was he received a lot of praise, right, for his baseball career. It was very short. Um, you know, he kind of walked in in 93 um but was it early 94 early uh, 94 yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, not sure. I'm not sure exactly i just know he retired I, in october of 90 i think he retired in october. He retired october 93 and then i think about went early maybe late late winter of 94 he um he decided well they made an agreement with him and the white Sox to, to to for them for him to join his for, for them for him to join their double a team and the uh, reason being is that usually we'll have guys like Michael Jordan who are just coming out and, and, and trying to make a career for themselves that was A-ball, right? It would be just A-ball. He was, but because he was a double okay, No, No, I know, but I'm saying uh, that for, for guys like Michael in, in his position who are just kind of pretty green or like they're trying to uh, evaluate their talents on a lower level, they would start them out in A-ball, right, and work their way up. But because yeah. – because uh, of Michael Jordan being Michael Jordan and, and the, the amount of attention that he was got he was getting, obviously they had to move on to Double A because it could better. Uh, they put that, him in a <laughs> Double A. They put him in a Double A, which is the most competitive form of minor leagues because that's where all the big prospects go. Triple A is where you have the fringe major leaguers, the guys that are just trying to make it, or the guys like like they're trying they're, they're trying to make it like the, the career minor leaguers and all that, or the guys yeah. that are up in about the major leagues. The double has the biggest prospects. The guy's throwing 100. The guy's hitting bombs. The guy's hitting defense. The guys are fast. This guy went straight into double A after not picking up a baseball bat in over 17 in, in, since he was like in 14. high school. I think 14 and years. If yeah, you yeah, yeah. saw the video of them cut, watching him to play, it was ridiculous. Did you see that part where they had, I hit my leg on my bed? Damn. Anyways, uh, <laughs> but if you see that part of, the guy that you have the the people prone on the floor because yes, they can yeah, yeah, see yeah. Jordan play through line on the floor. Imagine Johnny. Imagine um Mike Trout is in New York because we live in New York, obviously, and he's playing the Yankees. Imagine me, you. We, let's go lie down on the floor for three hours no, just to get a yes. game of Mike Trout playing. It, that is it, 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 bonkers. Like we talked ball. about last episode, bro. You, you let say it again. So we, we talked about it last episode. No one has that star power anymore the way michael jordan had it during that part of his career in the 90s and and maybe late 80s to a certain extent but at that time there was no one else on this planet earth that could that could literally bring people like that from all walks of life and do things like lay prone on a concrete floor in the middle of the, uh, probably was it maybe spring at that time and 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 try to get a little glimpse of michael jordan through the through the opening in the fence it, it was just an amazing time man and and i think obviously showed that people's interest in Michael was just beyond, you know, just even comprehension at that point. Yeah, and I just again imagine just laying down on the floor. You don't. This is nine. This is the mid nineties. You don't have a phone. Don't have nothing on you. You're just laying on the floor. That's made it great to see Jordan. That's made it great, bro. That's just unbelievable. That's unbelievable. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I don't know. I. I don't. I don't think I'd see. Like because if Mike Trout came now, right, to New York and played. I'm sure there will no, be I'm a just, camera. No, I'm just comparing it to the best major league player. Obviously, Mike Trout. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. not Jordan. But, like, if. But like we have, like, know, Twitter and, like, just live streams up all over the place. So we can definitely just watch him from home or something like that. We, we wouldn't get up out of our homes and 
camp out and try to watch him play. It's just that time in, 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 the, in the world was just a different time and really special because you didn't have phones or Twitter or anything like that. So he was like, but I'm not going to be able to see him on TV, really. I'm just going to pull up and see him in person. And so it's just really wild, man, because he was just really a double layer. Like, he, was, he wasn't even – he wasn't in the majors yet. Like, he was just a regular old double-A baseball player for the freaking White Sox. And it was just like, the, wow, uh, Michael Jordan, baseball player. Uh, Birmingham Barons. That's the team he played The before. Birmingham Barons, yeah. whose coach or manager Terry was Terry Francona. I was really shocked at that. I was like, really, Terry? You started out the – <laughs> Birmingham Barons, yeah, like that. Yeah, managers all managers for baseball. They're all over the place. They've probably been places that we don't even know. But uh, True. he started off with a 13 game hitting streak. Woo! Hitting on baseball is not an easy feat, but starting a, start, going from basketball being the best player in basketball, then going to baseball and hitting starting a 13 uh, 13 game hitting streak is pretty impressive. But then the baseball uh, pitchers started adjusting. They started throw off speed pitches, and then he started. You saw the struggles. He bat. He, you saw the Sports Illustrated wrote the story cover of saying Baggage Jordan, and then he would never talk to them again because of that, because they never spoke to mm-hmm. him about it or or talked yep. to him about it. And it was a he batted in his White Sox stats. I have it right here. He had a two hundred two average, one hundred and fourteen Ks. He had three home runs and seventeen doubles. Uh would he have made the major leagues? Yes, because he's Michael Jordan, obviously. But uh, no, I think I think that's that's not giving enough credit. I think that with those stats you hear, and they even said in the doc, if he had gotten another 1,500 at-bats and he was improving the way he was improving, I think this definitely would have been a, a huge uh, shot for him to make the majors because if you're producing – let's not like it's Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow is, is a pretty big name in our in our. He's doing, Tim Tebow's today. doing better than him, and that's because he, he played base, He played more but, baseball. But you, exactly. So you, you, the numbers that he has – are over the course of a couple of years now, maybe even a few at this point. Michael literally had one good year with, with the Birmingham Barons before the, the, the strikeout happened, and, and that's what ultimately led him back to, 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 to the NBA. So I, th- I think if Michael had gotten another year, maybe even two, under his belt, yeah, there's no way. There's no way he would not have made the majors, bro. Cause I don't know. To hit over, over the Mendoza line at at, at 31, not having had a bat in his hand for over 14 years, to to steal with I think over 30 bases, to to run in what 50 uh, RBIs he had, like those are really solid numbers. And for a guy who was literally learning on the fly, just trying to work his butt off to get to get better. And so I don't know, bro. I think he definitely made it without the, the name Michael Jordan. Nah, I I don't know. I just, I think his name was Johnny Singleton, and if he was playing, if he was playing baseball, I, I, and hit two or two, I don't. If he, I don't know. I just, if I, he was twenty two years I just, old, I'm sorry, hitting I'm those sorry, numbers. Just, I'm John, I'm sorry. I just can't project. Hey, he's hitting two or two, one hundred fourteen Ks, three home runs, seventeen doubles. I think he's gonna make it to the majors. It's not a slam dunk for me. I just can't. That was. Say. It's it's a it's a it's a small sample size, but I think if you know Michael Jordan the person, how how hard he works at anything, it doesn't matter basketball. Whatever the case is, he's going to put everything he's got into. I think that he would have had a good shot because of what we talked about, about that maniacal, psychotic drive to really be the best. And I think um, what he showed was a, a good little sample size of like, all right, there's something here. And I think if, if he gave him more opportunity, more time, he would have definitely been able to make it at some point. Would he have been, would he have been like a freaking all-star? Probably not. But I think definitely being on a roster was, was in his line of sight for sure, bro. Mm, I don't know. I just I don't know. Especially and the White Sox were good at that time because if you remember, 
which I think we should, I think we might as well get into now. When the rumors were circulating of his retirement, they were at the White Sox playoff game, and the White Sox were really good at the time. So I don't know if they'll make it. But if you saw that, if you saw when the rumors came out of when he was coming out of retirement, when he was going to retire, it was crazy. It was like the it's like the Beatles or Michael Jackson was walking, or the Pope was walking around for God's sake. Oh, that that whole place was packed, man. Was that, was, so, that was when he was trying intense. to leave where the, the stadium. Oh my goodness! And to see the press conference of when he went to retire, it was just it was. Everyone was there. Everybody was there. It's just I couldn't man. I, I never saw a sports press conference with that many people ever. That many people in one area. Mm-hmm. It just it shocks me to to this day when I saw that footage and I I I, I just couldn't believe it at the time. And Johnny, since we'll get into the since we're talking about his retirement right now. What do you think ultimately what led him to retire? We talked about it because of the stress of the three peating and playing and being on top, he lost motivation. But we get into the death of his father, James Jordan, and all the other stuff that was circling around his head at the time. What do you think ultimately led him to retiring after ninety after the ninety three season? He was tired, bro. I I think and if you and if you heard in, in the docs, uh one of the one of the reporters, um or, or, or journalists had, had mentioned that Michael had already made up his mind the summer before in 92 during, during the Olympic uh, I think it was uh, Mark Vansell. I think that was his name. Well, Mark Vansell? Is, yeah, is that his name? Mark Vansell, V-A-N-C-I-L. I think I, yeah, I think. Yeah, so think... Mark, yeah, so Mark, so if we say it right, uh, you know, lit Mark, but if we don't, my our fault for <laughs> But, uh, uh, yeah, but so Mark, he had mentioned that, Jordan had mentioned to him, like, listen, like, you know, I, I I would have retired right now. This is '92. He's talking about this during during the, the Dream Team um, Olympics, and he was like, "Listen, I will retire right now because I'm just tired of it all. But I want to win one more because you know Larry didn't do that, Magic didn't do that, and Isaiah didn't do that. So that was his drive to come back the next season to win. And once he did, I think he was like, finally, right. And then I think he might. I think I think if his father didn't pass. There might have been a moment where he might have not retired, maybe just a small one. Um, but as Jordan has said, because even at the time when his father was alive, he had talked to his father about what his next move should be. He said he was thinking about playing baseball. His father said, go ahead and do it. So he was already kind of one foot out the door at that point. But once his father had passed, I think for him, it was like, I have to do this now. You know, I have to kind of try my hand at baseball because that's what him and his father talked about. And that's what him and his father really bonded over initially was baseball. And so, um, all the other theories about some crazy, crazy ass suspension, or uh, which David Stern thankfully dispelled that no, it was not some mythical secret suspension, um, and no, it wasn't because of uh, you know all the other nonsense that might have been reported, which is really, really bad. And as a journalist, Rob, you should really take a note on this. Really, really bad journalism on a lot of these people parts of constantly having conspiracy theories as to why he retired because they felt like they had to know why he retired other than taking things yes. at face value and saying he they was tired. tired and like, it, it made me sick, bro. Like, and it, and it continues on today. I'm not, it, it, it's always been like that with journalists that some, a lot of them have just been spewing out rhetoric about certain people for years and just always speculate. And it's like, that's not journalism. Get your facts <laughs> right, bro. Like, cause like, it gets me tight. It's like, it's so easy as a journalist to spend all that, all, all those years in school, all those years of, of really perfecting your craft. And then for you to get to a certain level and then you just want to spew gossip. Like that makes no sense to me. Just, Report the facts as you see them, and let the public make their opinion. So, um, yeah, I just think ultimately he was tired. 
uh, burnt out being Michael Jordan, the basketball player, and one, one just kind of lay low and just try his hand something else, a new challenge. And that challenge was amazingly baseball. So, um, but yeah, uh, your thoughts, bro, on, on just the whole journalism thing and, and what do you think is what's his main reason for I, I, I agree with you. I think the death of his father was the tipping point because that was his last conversation that he had. He was mentally checked out and he was thinking about doing baseball. And his father said, do it, do it. He was the biggest supporter. And he decided, hey, and then when he when he passed away, which is crazy, three, he was he went to the, the the story was that he went to he was on the he was on the car, he was in a car, he went to take a, a nap because he was tired, and then he just disappeared for several weeks. It was just pretty I, I didn't know that. That was pretty surprising to see someone like a disappearance or something like that. Like it's just I, I thought that yeah. was crazy. And, um but yeah, as a as a journalist, this people are just trying to look for angles to like make it if if you get a scoop on something that has to do with Michael Jordan and it's big news, you're gonna be on top of the world. And I do think it's pretty say, hey, I think gambling was this is gambling was tied to to Jordan's death. The guy maybe old money. This is Michael freaking Jordan. He's the biggest athlete in the world at the time. One of the biggest he was one of the biggest figures in the world. You tell me if he had a gambling if he had a gambling debt, you don't think he would have been able to pay it off? Like come on, be realistic here. How would that go about? I just don't understand how he would do that. Like, hey, sure, maybe he would just disappeared, and that's pretty odd. And he went to take a sleep, take a nap. People probably did that back in the day. I just, I mean, I wasn't. Yeah, the bro. Time, but he was people, probably driving people, really late. Guess what I'm saying? He wanted to be safe and not drive on the road, falling asleep, which can cause many accidents. So it's not uncommon for people to who are driving very late at night to pull over and take a nap because you don't expect no one to roll up on you and try to rob you or. or or, or harm you anyway. He's just trying to take a nap. I'm sure a lot. I'm sure a lot of truckers do the same thing. So it wasn't. It wasn't uncommon, bro. It's, it's just really, really sad to see that you know a life was taken for for really no apparent reason, to be honest. And that it was such a violent way that his father had passed. But Jordan, to his credit, held strong and went into baseball. And they said it kind of for him, baseball was kind of like his his grieving. You know, he was kind of just. And in a world where he it wasn't like you know familiar to him, he was able to just be one of the guys again and not be Michael Jordan, the basketball player, and just enjoy what it felt like to just learn something and just continue to get better at it. I think at that yeah, point, definitely. basketball for him was so easy, you know. Yeah, definitely. Because when you're playing, there's there's a difference between playing baseball and basketball. When you're playing baseball, you get your every you you play in the outfield. You're just chilling. You're just chilling out in the outfield, just paying attention to the game. You're not to worry about any sort of distraction every second or anything like that. And then when it's and then you come up every every three four times at bat. So until then you're chilling in the dugout with your teammates. It's not the the spotlight is not on you the same way as in baseball. And that's part of the reason why basketball figures are bigger than baseball figures because basketball players are always going to be in the spotlight way more. It's whenever they're on the court, they're in the spotlight. Baseball, it's whenever it's whenever balls hit towards you or whenever you're up to hit at the plate. That's it. So it's not the spotlight is not on you like that. And people took that baseball season and it's time off. As they said, it was a conspiracy. And I love conspiracy theories. It's just cool to hear, listen to conspiracy theories. I was listening to a couple New York conspiracy theories yesterday, and it was pretty cool to hear. But to say that it was a, it was a suspension, a year and a half suspension, low key, and David Stern shut it down, obviously because he's the commissioner. He wouldn't. He would. Why would he submit to it? But I just, I, I think I thought that was ridiculous too. Just like, you got to set some standard because if the guys, if the guy was gambling, you suspend him, make sure that no one else would even think about doing it again, like. Baseball zapped Pete Rose for it. You don't think I know jo, I know Pete Rose is not Jordan, but I don't don't you think if NBA if Jordan was doing something that was against league rules, you don't think the NBA would set the standard or uh, uh, make sure that no one would or make a statement that make sure no one would ever do it again? Of course they would. But to suspend them for no, no, come on, man. And 
one other thing, John, I want to see the theory, like uh, uh, like a little bit of a theory here. Do you think that if anyone were to say, if anyone has some real credence to the the conspiracy theories or the reason why Jordan or his dad died, do you think literally? Because Jordan has his hands on this. Do you think that would have made it to the documentary? I, I jo, yes, Jordan has his hands on it because he allowed the footage to be to be to be let out and and used for this doc. But Jason Heron and his team, they don't have any ties to Michael. They're not friends with Michael. They 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 are going into they went into this whole doc with a mindset of like this is what we're going to cover. And Jordan, to his credit, was like, yeah, like let's talk about it. Like, this is what this is what the truth is. And I mean, his version of the truth, yes. And they brought in other people around him. And those who were around at the time, pictures in the, in the basketball world at the time, to kind of either back of the story or provide more perspective on the story. And so, I don't know. I, I think that to get into all the conspiracy theory stuff just makes things comical because certain things don't need to be looked at as like there's always another motive behind. I think a death happened, and to say that it was a gambling-related death is idiotic in, in, the, in the utmost sense. And um, yeah, I mean, like, I just don't understand what the purpose would be to kind of add more theories to, to a story that's pretty much point blank in that his father had passed. He, and Jordan, by all accounts, what, he, what he's talked about, what he hinted at was that he was tired. He was tired of the Jordan Rose book. He was tired of all the media on his back constantly, just wanted some peace of mind. And I think that's, that's been maintained because you see how he's lived his life now. He's not in the spotlight. He doesn't love the attention that comes with being Michael Jordan. So I think that was ultimately the reason. I think it's pretty clear what the reason was why he retired. And I know it's so odd because it's like no one has before or since at that point in, your, in, in their career, the prime of their career, retired, just boom. I, I, not out of nowhere, but for, I guess, many of the fans watching, yeah, out of nowhere because it was like, whoa, like he just came up winning three championships and now you're going to retire? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So I think that's why a lot of people to, to this day always speculate because it's, it was, it's so – unique and, and just out of this world because you're like, there's no way that a player of his caliber, who's the best player in a particular sport, is going to retire in his prime and just jump to a different sport like that. So it just doesn't, it just, cause it just doesn't happen. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And since uh, now that we've talked about his retirement and leaving uh, basketball here, let's go into the him coming back. The, um, which also, what, what I want to talk about here is Went back to when he when he got the itch to come back. You saw the picture, the visual of when Scottie Pippen was at the Bulls game, and he pointed his. I think he was wearing the tennis. Yeah, that was funny. And he put he pointed. He showed his the bottom of the Jordans was to show the Jumpman logo, and he showed he was like come back Jordan. <laughs> and he made the story of how the the, he, the facts came out. He just says I'm back because he just felt like that's that's all he really did say. And I thought that was really cool. But uh, what also going back to uh, just a quick point. The Bulls were 34 and 31, which also I think they try. I think also also hurt Scottie Pippen. You saw that picture of him throwing the chair after the assessment. It looks like he was being ejected. I'm assuming he was being ejected. <laughs> yeah. And playing coming back and playing the NBA was uh coming back and playing the NBA after leaving baseball after the strike and giving that up and coming back to basketball for almost after almost two years off. It was it was odd because for me, John, you can help me. They talked about this extensively. The way he looked when he came back. He, the the body type, the shape he was in, just he looked way thinner. Like back, he looked yeah. like Jordan in the '80s, thin, not yeah. '90s thin, not not '90s body Jordan. And I, John, I want to see how much do you buy into the fact that baseball had an effect on him in that '95 season when he came back? 
had an effect on him 100% because even before he came back, just took a little baby step back, Tim Grover, his, his longtime trainer for Michael Jordan, um, he had mentioned to Michael, like, listen, if you want to do this, you're going to completely change your body and, and you're going to lose a lot of the skills that you have worked on for, for damn near your whole life in terms of basketball. And Michael said, I don't care. I want to go into this, you know, full-heartedly, all the way, 100%. And that's what they did. They trained their body. Because obviously in baseball, you don't need a lot of the mass, per se. At least back then you didn't. Nowadays, you see guys who are like tanks, a la Aaron Judge, or Albert Pujols in his day, or, or you know, or Mark McGuire, but he's steroids. So, I mean, but, um, yeah, so at the time, a lot of those guys were just, you know, kind of leaned out. But you, you had a lot of strength in your legs, kind of, and you had a lot of, you, you kind of laid off a lot of the weightlifting because you wanted more speed and agility. And so for someone like Michael Jordan, who was more of like a speed star, base runner, and kind of outfielder, you wanted more flexibility. So I think that's where they kind of attack things. But as you saw when he got back, that's where a lot of this, the, the skinniness came from. He looked like a really skinny Michael Jordan, like, you know, like the 22, 23-year-old Michael Jordan that came into the league. So it, it was hard for him. It was hard for him to come back right away. I mean, I'm sure he – practice and worked out a little bit prior to him getting on the court because there was speculation running rampant for a couple months until B.J. Armstrong, you know, finally uh, let Michael, you know, just see the guy in practice one time and then it kind of became a whole thing. But I think definitely that 94-95 season, he struggled mentally. And you saw it. I think the first game he had was against the Pacers, that first yes. game back. And, and he his shot was short, you know. He was probably not in basketball shape in terms of just the cardio aspect of it all. Because obviously in baseball, uh, you know, the knock against them. I'm not saying I, I agree with this, but knock against them is like they're not a real sport because they kind of just lay around. It's like the action is really sporadic. It's not really constant motion. It's just kind of like you're waiting around and something happens and you kind of react and that's it. And so for Michael, he just didn't have that type of stamina like he did in basketball. Where you're running up and down the court literally every possession, and it showed. He was short. He he kind of had some burst. He didn't have the same lift. He couldn't really jump as high. Uh, but it's so funny because how things, muscle memory just works, right? Because, you know, I think a week later from that first game, he hit the game winner against Atlanta. Yep. And I think they, they had mentioned, well, well, side story from that is that Jason Hare, the director, he, he, he does a, a show with Jalen Jacoby after, after the documentary airs every Sunday. And he had mentioned that that part of the doc was, was, was not going to be included because he wanted to kind of, for time purposes, wanted to get to the first game he got back, which was against Indiana, and then the double nickel game against the Knicks. But Jordan had mentioned to, to Jason that, you know, the, the moment he really felt that he could be Michael Jordan again was that game against Atlanta that he hit the game winner. And, you know, I want to say maybe a couple of days after that is when the double nickel game happened. I think you can, And he's wearing number no, 45, too, when he came back. 45, uh, though, his baseball number, and – uh, I would, oh my God, I, I text you guys about why he really wore it. He wore it because that was his first, that beginning. Was the first number he yeah. wore when he played basketball. His brother, his brother wore, and then went, and, but he went to 23 because his brother wore 45, and he went that 23 was as close as to be in terms of being half of 45, so he took 23. So that's mm -hmm. why he took 23 as a secondary choice because it's like 22 or 23, somewhere in between there, like that's half of 45. So he said, you know what, I'll pick 23. So that's why he yeah. went to 23, and that's why – because remember, he looked up to his brother. Because remember, if you look in the previous episodes and what we talked about, his brother was another figure he looked up to because he wanted yeah. his attention, but his dad gave the attention to his brother because he, mm -hmm. he was the of the older mind. And 
again, there was another person he looked up to when that played basketball. So that's who, that's where he got the 45 from. So go back to mm-hmm. what you were saying. He dropped the double nickel in the garden. His, I think it was his fifth game back. And he was just Something dominant. like that, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was, it was Michael. You know, Michael was that. And then he went and to, and then they went into the playoffs. Uh, and then he, he, they played against Orlando Magic. Horace Grant is finally on another team. He got his money. That was the conference finals, I believe. Right? Was the that was the finals. second. I was the second round because in the conference, second round, round. I believe Orlando in the conference finals, Orlando beat Indiana because Indiana beat the Knicks in the second round. Okay. Yeah. 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 So yes. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hey, Johnny. Since we're quarantined, there are a lot of adjustments I've made to my life. But one adjustment I made that was a great one was trying out a new refreshing drink called Lemon Perfect. Mmm. Lemon Perfect, you say. Why are they called Lemon Perfect, my brother? Well, hold on. Didn't you hear what I said? It's called Lemon Perfect. The word perfect. Because it is perfect. Made from 100% organic lemons picked from Southern California. You know where they have Los Angeles and Oakland and all that? Yeah, that place. It's delicious taste, relieves stress, clear skin, faster metabolism, and increased energy. So it can look good for the summer once we get out of this quarantine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, okay. I, I feel you. But what's the ingredients, bro? You can't you can't be slacking. What they got in there, bro? I thought I was done. You must be crazy. Guess what? <laughs> it has vitamin C. Five calories. You said it. Five. Put it, just open your hand. Five. And zero, now close your fist. Zero sugar with four different flavors. Lemon, they got it. Blueberry, acai, they got it. Dragon fruit mango, come on, easy. And peach, raspberry, which is my favorite. Mm, okay, okay. I, I mean, you rock with that peach raspberry, but I'm a, I'm a basic dude, so I like the lemon, but all right, bro. You know what I'm saying? But where can we, where can we get this stuff? Where can oh, we get you got, the lemon perfect, you got, bro? You got to expand your horizons. But yes, so enjoy the great taste of Lemon Perfect right now at Amazon. It is 2020. I am not trying to hear excuses. You have internet. You have a laptop. You have a phone. You're in the crib. Go to Amazon.com. I know you bought a bunch. I know you people buy a bunch of stuff on that website. So go look up Lemon Perfect and just apply the code 30ZeroSugar at checkout for 30% off your first purchase. Again, the code is 30ZeroSugar. The number 30, the word zero, Z-E-R-O-S-U-G-A-R, sugar. For 30% off your first purchase. So go now and enjoy the great taste of Lemon Perfect today. Because it is absolutely tremendous. You see what happened there. You just... The the documentary definitely, definitely hugged the narrative. Now, I'm not going to say touched. Hugged the narrative of baseball and the body being the reason why he lost against the Magic. Because he just said he... Was tired. They they used the commentary. They just saw him huffing. And but it's acknowledged, though. That's acknowledged, though. I think. I think everyone that Majesty knows that wasn't a hundred percent Michael Jordan. I think they understood that if that was Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, that that series would have went a little bit differently. Would it have been close? Yeah, hell yeah, because that team was stacked. Horace Grant, Penny Hardaway, Dennis Scott, uh, Nick Anderson, a young, young, yeah. strong, running deer like Shaquille O'Neal. So like that whole team was was amazing. But again. Michael Jordan being Michael Jordan, I think you saw what happened in that season clearly. That when Michael Jordan, yeah. Michael Jordan, what happens? Yeah, and you saw Nick Anderson came at him. He said when he went in, um, oh, game, yeah, game one, I think in Orlando, uh, Jordan yeah, yeah, after the first game, yeah. he went past half court. Nick Anderson stole the ball and then it turned into a couple points. And then Jordan turned it over the next possession and the Magic. Uh, won that game, but then Joe and then Nick Anderson said 45 and 23 and Horace Grant. Remember Horace Grant? He said, No, you did it. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't give it. We'll get it to later. We're just talking about what motivates Jordan. But we'll get it. Oh, man. But yeah, it's just Jordan like, why, out. right? 
Why you picking a fight? He's like, Michael? I don't know. He's like, he's game one. I don't know. I don't know how much. To... See, John, John, I'm gonna tell you this right now. I'm, I'm gonna tell you this right now. I usually, I usually don't go into my psychology when it comes to games. I'm not a trash talker. I don't know about you. I don't like to talk trash until I'm pretty. I'm like 99.9 percent <laughs> sure I got this in the bag. I'm not. Um, gonna, not. If it's game that's one, I'm trash. not gonna say take that, take that, take that. That's no, trash. I'm like, I'm gonna wait till later. I'm gonna wait till I'm because because if. I don't want to be that guy that says take that and then you lose because you have egg on your face and you look god awful. Yeah, that's, that's what you. That's the life. I'm gonna do that when I'm super. I'll, I'll take it back. I'm not gonna say 99.9. I'm gonna say it when I'm really, really confident that we got this in the bag. I'm not gonna say that, but I feel like these guys got no chance. That's what I'm gonna talk trash. I'm not gonna talk trash out the <laughs> gate when it's when it's five nothing. I'm gonna say yeah, you ain't nothing. No, I'm not gonna say it like that. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna take like. Yo, like Horace Grant said to Nick Anderson, don't do this, man. Don't do this. Because when we play 2K, I'm a little silent, but then when I get that, when I get the little bit of lead, I'm going to start. I'm going to, you know, like Scott Steiner says from WWE, holler if you hear me. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do, man. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, I get it, yeah, but that's just funny. <laughs> I don't know why you disagree. I don't know why you're coming at me. Jordan does say later on in the documentary, you could. It's one thing. It's one thing to talk trash when you're up, but it's another. And it's, it's like, but it's like it's better to talk trash when it's tied because that's where it really starts. It's talking trash yeah. up is not nothing. I disagree. Believe it or not, talking <laughs> trash whenever you got to because just know when you're talking trash, make sure you get the make sure you get the W. I talk trash when you get that W. That's when I really. <laughs> that's it. So. Yes, Jordan, I disagree with you there on that one. But anyways, Jordan go back. So he goes back to 23 in the series against Orlando. And they were actually, believe it or not, they went on to lose the series in Orlando. Yes, the Bulls lost the series in the 90s, believe it or not. And that was the only yeah, one they lost. That's the only one they lost. And Johnny, look. When and when they were hard, when they put Horace Grant on their shoulders as they won the series. Jordan said, copy, told Tim Grover, I'll see you tomorrow to get ready for the next season. It's actually past that, bro. And I think this is kind of a little romanticized from from Tim's perspective. And Tim, obviously, is very close to Michael. And when he got – and Tim got emotional when he mentioned that, you know, a lot of athletes take a little time off and, you know, then they'll get back into work. So he was going to ask Jordan, like, when you want to see me again? And Jordan obviously said, I'll see you tomorrow. He got emotional because it's like – that shows the dedication that he had, and, and yes, like it's it's amazing. But I'm sure there's been many athletes that kind of, you know, went right into the next uh, session of workouts for the next season. But for Jordan, it meant a lot because clearly he saw Horace Grant over there getting hung up on his shoulders in Chicago, I believe. Right? Was it in Chicago? Yes. And 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 he's like, oh, this is how it's gonna be, huh? Heard you. And then on top of all of this, he has to film Space Jam, and so and, and so during that time, during that entire summer. That that's where the famous, um, and I knew about this. The famous uh, pickup runs happened on Warner Brothers Studios with guys like you know Juwan Howard, uh, Reggie Miller, uh, I think Dave Robinson, Charles Barkley might have been there a couple times. Uh, Chris Mullen, uh, uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. Not Tim Hardaway Jr. But Tim Hardaway. Excuse me. All the all these guys were there, and what I didn't know, and I'm I should have known this. Michael goes on to talk about how. He did that because, one, he, he wanted to play and see how he fared against the top young guys in the league at, the, at that time. We also wanted to study each person. So he would sit there and watch these guys and all their movements, all their tendencies, all the different things. Because he had to see a lot of these guys. It's been two years. So a lot of these guys come into the league and, and make their own names for themselves and became stars when he was gone. And so he's kind of watching all these guys. And I'm like, you son of a gun. He sat there and fooled all of them. 
They all came out. Oh, Michael, you know, and and all of them, bro. All of them got fooled, bro. Because that next season, what happened, bro? What happened after he's after he because uh, his day was that whole summer was he went he, he's crossing on the at 7 a.m. He goes until 7 a.m. till 7 p.m. Exactly. Then has run from 7 p.m. to like midnight. And he has workouts in between that. So that whole summer, that's like three, four months, that was exactly his routine every single day. Got up and filmed, played, did his workout, went, then went to play ball. It's just several moments. And you heard Reggie Miller just saying, I think he called him a vampire, which is crazy. And thinking about it, that didn't, yeah. that didn't, that didn't make no sense because vampires work at night. They're sleeping at the day. But anyways, but uh, it's just, uh, yeah, he was a sadistic freak. I call people sick freaks. He's a sadistic freak. And then when you call back to, and then the 95, 96 season, they played that song. You hear, uh, I don't, I'm forgetting the name of that song. They played the song, the entire 96 highlights. And I'm just like, this is perfect. Yeah, talking about, I can't, I got to go back and watch because I, I know what you're talking about. And they caught me too. I was like, oh, they brought that song. I was like, yeah. It's, it's like it's like having the it's like having the fat lady sing in the season beginning because like it's over it's over and then he yeah, dominated seventy two and ten. Yo, then, when Jeff Bushler said talking about Dennis, yes, Rose, was looking at the calendar. He said now it was Scotty. It was Scotty. Months. And then here Jeff Bushler, he made he just stuck his neck out. Like I was like, whoa, relax. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, it just went three D on me. But that was really yeah. that was hilarious. In this 95, 96 season, it was not even close. It was a wrap. There was no one touching the Bulls. Uh, they go to the, they go to the 96 finals. And um, they're going against the Seattle Supersonics. And they're on uh, Jordan's at dinner with Ahmad Rashad. And George Carl, who he has a connection with at UNC, comes. Uh, he's just Shaking says, my head. Jordan, Jordan said, he didn't, he didn't say anything to me. Okay, heard you. And he just lit him up. They went up, really, they went up three on the series. He just died. He, and they won the series eventually. And you see, you see, uh, you see Jordan laughing at Gary Payne's mentality. It's just like changed the series of the. You just and saw because, Jordan looking at the iPad and Jordan just, he's just laughing. And you read that. Well, face. okay, to Gary's credit, I know, I know Joel talked about it too. To, to Gary's credit, like he did do a, a decent job against Michael. I think definitely that's the best because at that at that point in time he was the best player of the year, if I'm not mistaken, that season. Yeah. And so yeah. you want your best defender on the best player on the court for both teams. And so, but but George Carl obviously didn't want Gary to get tired guarding because that's a tough job to guard Michael Jordan the entire 48 minutes. Um, and so and then not produce on offense. So they need because the only stars on that team at the time. Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, and I guess you can throw in uh, Shrimp, whatever his, his name Shrimp. was. Deadlift Shrimp. Deadlift Shrimp. And so that was about it for that team. And so obviously they were a 60 plus one team. They were, they were a great team, but you're facing the Chicago Bulls with Michael Jordan at full strength. And so, yeah, they, they worked for two games, I'm sure. And when Michael saw Gary saying how he, you know, he pretty much took Jordan out of the finals, and, and that's how they won the two games, Jordan laughed because it was like, listen, bro, like, at the end of the day, I believe Jordan when he says he has a lot, he had a lot of things on his mind. He's like, I I got like was, he's like, he's like, I got a lot of respect for the glove. <laughs> I had no problem with the glove. <laughs> you know, his face when he was looking at the iPad. I love that. You know what? After this is over, I'm gonna go look at it again. It's too <laughs> funny the face he makes when Gary Payne says, he, "No, he made some physical expression that had me weak, bro." Like he look at that camera, like uh, not in the camera, the, the iPad, like hmm? they talking like that. <laughs> Oh man, y'all! The, the time between the the you no know, twenty five plus years, I got their mind all messed up, bro. They they looking crazy, but 
Uh, Joel, you can talk about a little bit, bro, about your, your gripe with it, uh, with Jordan and, and him kind of dismissing good old glove over there. My man held him to t- 23 points, and 11 of those points came off of free throws. He only <laughs> had 12 points. He was 6 for 19, tried for two threes, and missed both of them. My son had him on lock. <laughs> Damn. My son, my son, I'm a Bulls fan. But for him to laugh it off like that, just take it on the chest and say he locked you up that game. Just take it on the chest. He will never take anything on the chest. As we talked about, uh, as we talked, as we were no, he did. He, he, he had a couple times. Nah, a couple but, times. He, but no, nah, but once he's going, you he'll have the last laugh at the end of the day. He will have the. That's last laugh. That's Smith story, bro. Oh, oh, that, well, I was gonna say, but like right before the LeBron Smith, we forgot about to mention they faced Orlando Magic in the conference finals. They won sixty games, swept them, swept them. Oh yeah, so, I told you that, bro. That's what I said that. Um, to my to my point that Michael was at full strength that ninety four ninety five season or playoff season. And that the next season, 95-96, we understood when you have a full Michael Jordan, the same team, still have Shaq, still have Penny, still have Nick Anderson, still have all the guys. Horace Grant was still there, too. They got smoked because you know why? Jordan was back. So I, I, I he, think it's, it's not hard to say that that 95 season, Jordan was fully Jordan, that they would have won that series. Bro. And they did have Dennis Rodman there. You can't forget that. And, yeah. that also, and that also broke up that Magic team. After that, Shaq was gone. Oh, yeah. Shaq was out of there, yeah. And yeah, Penny's knees. So bye-bye. Yeah. I was just going to add that um, when they were showing the 96 team that won the 72 games, they really just talked about the Jordan aspect. They didn't really talk about the the addition of Rodman and yes. 14 rebounds a game and Pippen, which really – they really talked about how Jordan dominated. But if you look at the stat line, Pippen was like neck-to-neck with Jordan on every line except for the points. That's what I – playmaker. That's what I've been saying. Like, of course, they. I feel like this documentary does make Pippen look bad in some aspects, but they did not highlight some of the aspects with Pippen. Like again, they didn't I, think no, I, I think it's no. I think it's no. Like they didn't highlight what what really cost them at the end of that. What what cost them the season in '94 when Jordan was gone? The Hugh Holland's call, and they just didn't. And, and I, they and they did highlight how the Bulls team was struggling right before Jordan came back out of retirement. I just, I don't know. I just, I don't think that mattered too much. I don't know why they. It was nice to throw it in there, but I just didn't think they needed. To I mean, they were about they were about twenty games under five hundred, bro. At that, at that point, when 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 Jordan when jo- when before Jordan came back, that ninety four ninety five. Yeah, but I'm just saying they they. I just I feel like they, they made it seem like they had they were a seventeen one team. They acted like I mean they were only what like twenty nine thirty. I think they were thirty four and thirty one when Jordan came back. Yeah. So. Uh, I'm. I get. I get what you're saying. I mean, they should. They probably could have. Highlighted Pippen a little bit more, but I think they gave Pippen his episode, so they they understood that like Pippen was an essential part to this whole thing. This whole winning was was Jordan would not have won anything without Scottie Pippen. I think Jordan even acknowledged that, so I think that's why they didn't spend too much time highlighting what Pippen had done that season before Jordan had got there when Jordan had left, and highlight Pippen and Robin to that for that matter uh, during the '96 one because we all understand that those two pieces are essential to Jordan and Robin, in Robin's case for the second three-peat and for Pippen's case, the entire six, six championship run. So I think that's why, for Tom's sake, they wasn't trying to harp on the fact that like, Pippen was averaging X, Y, and Z in points, rebounds, stats, assists, um, steals, and assists. They were just kind of saying, like, this is what happened because the 96 season for the Bulls is historically known as the best season of all time, granted because they won the championship and the Golden State Warriors, who won 73-9, and nine, did not. So, uh yeah, I don't think there's a slight against Pippen or Rodman. 
I just think that it's just for time purposes, they were showing that this is what Jordan looked like at full strength post coming back from retirement and how the team just took off and won 72 games, man. That, that, that's huge. And then eventually some, uh, pretty much the whole playoff run. They only lost like one or two games, I think, at least uh, into the finals anyway. And then yeah. they lost they lost two games to, to the Sonics. And then Jordan on Father's Day said, enough is enough, enough. All right, and then smoked them out the building. Do you think? It, do you think? Do you think that? Uh, well, just, I know you want to get to LeBron for Smith, uh, but do you think? No, nah, we can drop that. It's fine. No, uh, no, nah, nah, I, I want to get into that. <laughs> I want to get into that. Right. But do you think? Um, uh, what do you what like? I don't know. Just it just felt weird that Jordan said he had a lot on his mind why he went to three games to two, and I don't know. Just do you, I, I don't know winning the game on. <laughs> this may sound crazy, Johnny. Do you think there's any chance that this guy just like no killing? No. Um, I, just, <laughs> I know what you're saying no. Um, because I enjoy his makeup. I just think that he he understood the day was coming up, and I just think that personally he was just you know a lot of emotions were there. So may, maybe at the time like the the, the games or, or or the miss the matchup Gary Payton and Jordan wasn't like the first thing on his mind as it normally would have been. Um, but that's not to say that that's taking credit from from Gary Payton. He did his job. Like you know whether whether it was on his mind or not on his mind. The games happened, and Gary Payton got the best of them those two games. But I think once Father's Day hit, and he knew that obviously he didn't want to go to Game Seven, so you want you want to just end it right there. He knew what he had to do, and I think just it being on Father's Day meant that much more, and uh, uh, it just kind of it all fell into the right place. It all just kind of happened, you know, organically. I felt like you know, like it just kind of happened that way, and. It was an emotional moment for him and, 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 and everyone in the NBA, every basketball fan, because I think a lot of people who watched this clip at the end, at the end of episode eight of Jordan, you know, and locking around himself, we all have seen the clip, but they never put the audio in. And boy, they put that audio in, and I said, damn, that man is really yeah, like, I, heaving. He's heaving, I've seen, bro. I've, like, seen, I've, seen, I've seen, I've heard him cry, and I've seen the footage before of him crying. Like, I've actually heard it before, because like, you, if you listen closely in the previous footage, you can hear him crying. It's just... It's meaningful because you talked about it. Like every time that it was his first time playing a full season since his father was gone, and then when, mm -hmm. um, and if, when you saw him celebrating all of his championships, his father was right there with him. All those yeah. games, those big games, his father was right by the bench every time. And for them to go through something like this on Father's Day, it's definitely something different and it's meaningful. And I think that's the first time we've ever saw him let his emotions out in terms of his father being gone because he, hey, he said he had to be he had to be strong in terms of publicly. He said he had to be strong about it and he has for his to, family yeah his family like if this guy can't hold his emotions down then who really can so and it's just yeah so he got he was able to it's just i it's just hard to imagine what he was going through when he hit when he won that game remember when, remember when he went when the when the final buzzer sound you saw him with the basketball look like someone's trying to take the ball from me he said, randy, randy brown he was trying to get the basketball i was like what why what, what, what are you doing friend. like but I was like, I was like, I mean, I'm sure that I'm sure that the teammates, I'm sure that they're, they're, they're cool with each other. But like in that moment, why would why was Randy Brown feeling to get the basketball? Like, he's like, get out of my way. It's my moment. If you keep doing this again, last second on the team. <laughs> yeah, like, right. You told and that. Like, then, what, what, this is Father's Day. Michael Jordan has basketball. You understand why he's cradling that basketball? It's like, yo, like he just won a championship post his father's death. Like. I don't understand why Randy in that moment was like feeding get the basketball, bro. Like knock it out, bro. Like this ain't your moment. Get out of here, Randy. I'm just tell him, man. Just tell him, yo. Imagine because he's like, you know what? Yo, yo, Phil Jackson. Yo. We don't need him on the team. Just... Well, imagine. Oh no. 
I mean, I got to look it up. I don't know how, when, I don't know what happened to Randy Brown after that, but yeah, that was pretty crazy. But yeah, it's it's pretty cool to see his him letting out his emotions. But Johnny, excuse me, I want to end this episode on just how maniacal he was in terms of being motivated, Johnny. Just let us in the LeBrad for Smith story and the BJ Armstrong part is just wow. Oh yeah, we can, <laughs> we can wrap up really quickly about these two stories. So like, yeah, as we talked about this entire episode, you know, pretty much what was highlighted was Michael's mentality and, and really how he drove himself. And so with the LeBrad for Smith story, you know, they were playing the, the Washington Bullets. This might have been the eighty. In like 89, 90, like maybe around no, this that 1993. time. This was 1993. This was 93. Okay, so it's 93. Um, and so, yeah, they played it. They played the Bullets, and, and, and the Bradford Smith at the time was one of the high draft picks for the Washington Bullets because they stunk. And, yeah, they played the game, and the Bradford Smith had a game. Like, he went off for, I think, 36, 37 points that game, and he was hitting every shot in sight, you know. And Michael, that game, just he didn't have it. You know, he was kind of short on some shots and couldn't hit a shot that night. And, uh, you know, they still won that game. They still won the game. They still won the game, and then they did a home and home. So a home and home means that you play, you play yes. the team home. Then you guys travel to the other team's home, and you play them there. Yeah. And Jordan but, made it up. Oh, he, I got to lead up to it, but yes, yeah. He so he, the story had went before Jordan had acknowledged that this was false. The story had go had went that the night that the Lebrafer went off and 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 everything that Lebrafer kind of went to Mike. Not, nothing malicious was like good game, Mike. Like, you know, it's kind of like whatever. And Michael took offense to that. And then so, so, subsequently, the next night, literally the next night, they, as they went to Chicago, uh, or what? Did Chicago was Washington. Well, they went to Washington. Washington. And yeah, he gave LeBaffer Smith the same amount of points he had scored on him the night before in the first half. He had 35, 36 points in the first half. And he ended up with like 40 something, 48, something like that. And for years, he was like, yeah, he said this to me. And Bradford Smith had denied, like, no, nah, I never said anything to Michael. And Michael finally acknowledged that, no, nah, I made it up just to get me going and to make, make a slight out of it. And that's insane. That is legit the definition of insane. Like, this man has legit made up a false statement that this man said against him to then use it to fuel him the next game to go off and destroy him. And it's just so crazy. But he said it's a lesson learned that any, any night that an NBA player can go off on you. And any any night can be their night, and so he took that as a lesson. And even though he took that as a lesson, he still made a slight about it, and and and, and decided to destroy the kid the next day. But uh, yeah, I, I love that. Though. I love that because yes, it's weird. Yes, it's crazy that you have to make up something like that. But that's just Michael Jordan. It makes him special. It makes him one of the greats because the greats are, are aren't always understood. It's not easy to understand why why you're great at something because like Tiger Woods, like Michael Jordan, these guys on a different playing field than the rest of us common folks and so when you get to get a glimpse into their mindset and how they really fuel themselves to be who they are it's really unique and funny but then with the bj armstrong one bj brought that on himself i'm not gonna hold you bro so fast <laughs> yeah, forward he, to like the next he, he he's like yo yeah I, yeah I, like this guy bj armstrong he's like oh, i know this team this is 90 <laughs> what year is this 98 this 98 is the second round uh bulls and hornets and uh, game two, just B. John starts to score, going off because he knows the system, obviously, because he was on the first three pre. He's like, he knows the system, he's killing it. Da 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 da. Then he's hitting mm -hmm. shots, he's going crazy like this is the finals game seven. Like, he's making shots as if he just won the series every time. He just kept celebrating, celebrating. He had celebrating. a game, yep, and but, they won the game, yeah. believe it or not. Because the and they won the game because he hit a late uh, shot, 
he he screams out "woo" to the bench and yeah, and, yeah. and high five his teammates. And, yeah, and they won the game. Then, but not, it's shocking to see Hornets win games. But anyway, yeah. so uh, yeah, Jordan, you saw the next game. Jordan said, "Remember, this is what I talked about earlier." You see Jordan just sitting in his stick with a bat in his hand. A bat that, in his hand. And then what? What else do we don't see? He has a poster of himself right next to him. The poster <laughs> when he won the one. Cigar in his mouth, bat in hand, and I have to ask him like, "Yo, like, like is it bother you?" Nah, he's just okay. like, it's it's one he's like it's one good game. He's just he's just like doing little fake uh swings. He's like it's one good yeah. game. Like I said before, he's like it's it's nice to talk trash when you're ahead, but it's a different thing to talk trash when you're well, it's it's a different thing to talk trash when it's a tie game. So let's see what happens when you talk trash in the tie game, then we'll see. And Jordan just lit him up. It was nothing, it wasn't close. They won every game. It was yeah, it wasn't was close to that. And but this just knows how crazy competitive Jordan is, and anything can get him going. Like we saw Steve guy, he punched Steve Kerr in the face because of Tiki Tack fouls. He just wasn't happy. But you see, I love that stuff because you know why Steve understood why that happened. And, and Jordan to his credit that night apologized to him. I'm like, that's another personal man, just got the best of me. And whatever. And Steve said from that point on, the relationship grew exponentially because they he respected Steve because he felt like initially with Jordan uh, Jordan felt that these new guys coming in, Steve, and and all the other new guys who came in, it was Steve they don't have, only and um, they don't they weren't there for those three for those three championships. They don't know that their championship caliber uh, uh, or, or their championship makeup that this team has has built over the years. They just got there, so you, you shouldn't be there. Be like, oh yeah, like we we know how to be champions. They don't. So Jordan had to test them, and he tested Steve. And to Steve's credit, he stood up for himself, and Jordan just socked him in the face, and you know takes takes my practice everything. Like that, but Jordan does call him and says, "I apologize for my stuff." And, and and after that, he knew that he could trust Steve. He knew Steve would 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 fight and he would compete and he would battle. He wouldn't he wouldn't wane under the moment. And so if you out here battling with Michael Jordan and, and want to get in his face, that means the other rest of the dudes ain't nothing. You ain't scared. And obviously in '97 it worked out because he trusted Steve to hit that shot to to win game to win a game game five. That, I believe, and they'll get into uh, it was it was game six, uh, game six. They'll get we'll, and they'll get into that this weekend, the last couple episodes. But yeah, yeah, yeah it just shows you this guy can take him off. He wasn't having it. He just felt like Steve Kerr, Luke Long, and I forgot who the other person was. They felt entitled because and they weren't they didn't have that drive because they weren't there for the other uh, other titles. He's right, bro. Like there was he's right. It's like and he's like right, joining the man. Warriors as a rookie and thinking that you're a champion. You're not, bro. Just because they won the last then, couple years doesn't mean you you you, you earn anything. And then Steve Kerr, he just called, and Steve Kerr punched him in the chest, and then Jordan just socked him in the eye. First of all, I don't know if exactly if he put I mean, it could have been a shove to the chest. It could have been, I don't know. I think, no, I think it could have been exaggerated. Not, Jordan was fouling him. The, the reason why this all started because uh, Bill Jackson was calling Tiki Tack fouls on Michael, but Steve Kerr. And Jordan got upset. He was like, yo, like, you, you calling these weak, weak, uh, weak ass fouls ain't going to help them in a real game. And eventually, you know, uh, Jordan fouled them hard, and was like, that's a real foul. And then, Steve, I guess, took a second to that and probably just did a little, like, you know, shove to the chest. Like, yo, get up off me. And Jordan was like, nah, homie, bam. You know what I'm saying? And then, you know, that was, that was it. But, but uh, no, I mean, listen. Down goes Kerr. Fly. Uh-huh. Down goes Kerr. Down, down goes Kerr. But, uh, yeah, listen, in today's era, can I go down? Unfortunately, no, because there's a lot of softies out there. But for, for, for valid reasons, yes. But at the same time, sometimes tough love between – Compared to people, sometimes it can spill over into a, a mini fight. It, it, Steve Kerr was a grown man. Like, he could take a punch in the face. I'm sure Jordan wasn't trying to knock him out. He's not Mike Tyson. You know, so, like, he probably got a little shining, but it wasn't nothing crazy because at the end of the day, when 
you, you, when you finally understand someone and you, and you gain so much respect, those punches feel like nothing, bro. You're like, all right, I gained your respect, and now we can move forward. And that's, and that's what they did. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just Michael Jordan, man. And, and these stories are just what makes him the mythical character that he is today. And these episodes seven and eight really highlighted and humanized Michael Jordan, the, the athlete. And we kind of got, we, we kind of had to see Michael Jordan, the man, instead of just the athlete. And I think that was really nice and insightful for, for them to kind of deep dive deep into that, that portion of him. Good, bad, or indifferent. You know, that it wasn't it wasn't all good in there. There was a lot of bad moments for Michael with the punch, the the cussing out of uh uh uh, uh Scotty um uh was it Call, calling Nadal? out Scotty, attacking Steve uh hitting Steve Kerr. Yeah, just, there was not a lot of good in there. But I think that makes just him calling human. him out to the type of teammate he was. Yeah, go ahead. That makes him human, bro. Like these athletes I know they're propped up to be these, you know, great characters like Michael was in his early years. But what happens is, is that it's always nice to see that someone is human. You know, LeBron is not invincible. We've seen him in, in, in these moments where, like, he's humanized, right? That'll, that'll do it for this edition of the Reaching the Teaching Podcast presented by CI. We just covered our episode seven and eight of The Last Dance. <laughs> Unfortunately, this week it is going to be episodes nine and eight, the last of it. And we got no sports. So this is it. So, unfortunately, uh, as long as we've we've enjoyed the we've been enjoying the ride for the past couple of weeks, this is going to be it. We're gonna, they're going to go into they're going to go into the '97 finals against the uh, the '97 season. Actually, they're going to go into and they're going to start off and they're going to talk about the '98 uh, conference finals against the Pacers and obviously going on and the rest of the '98 season. And so, yes, that'll that'll do it for this. We'll see. We'll look forward to that. So, we'll look forward to those last two episodes and the ending of the Last Dance documentary. So, again. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Reaching and Teaching Podcast. If you haven't subscribed yet, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing. It's quarantine. Get your head right. Look up the Reaching and Teaching Podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Leave a comment. Give us five stars. We deserve it, baby. Listen, we deserve it. We're giving great content here. We're giving great content here. It's a, it's been a, been in all in all reality. It's a, it's fun to talk about. Just give us a, give us a, uh, give us a rating. Tell us what you, tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you want us to talk about, other stuff that's going on. And again, yeah, so uh, stay tuned for the next episode of the Reaching and Teaching podcast, and we'll see you guys soon. Take care.